just a little disclaimer on this episode. Uh, there's a couple little digital hiccups throughout this episode, maybe four or five. It sounds like uh, a fast forward for a couple seconds. That is not your device you are listening on. That is on our end. We had a software update and found out too late that these uh, glitches were on there. It doesn't really take away from the podcast too much, and we thought the material was good enough to keep. Welcome, I'm Mike Barrett. I'm Corey Stark. And we are here joining you once again. We are two friends having casual conversation about the things of eternity. We welcome you into that conversation. Today, we're going to talk about the word prophecy. Corey, whenever it seems that something is, uh, you know, the Lord is is really, something's really important to the Lord, it seems like there's always an adversary or an opposite, an opposition. And one of those is the word prophecy. So if you you open up your computer and uh, go to YouTube and and type in prophecy, I guarantee you that you'll have (laughs) enough material to occupy, you know, occupy your time from now until until the the end of time. It would probably make you never want to look at YouTube again if you look at what's out there, right? Yeah, yeah. So why is a why is that? Why do you? Th- why is why is prophecy uh, something that gets people's attention? It was crazy when 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 for the last presidential election, Donald Trump, you know, was going to be elected, and um, there were some things going on in the stars, and there was this one <laughs> hour long, which was really fascinating, this hour long um, video from this guy from Australia, a minister, and it was all this prophecy, and the the stars had aligned, and there was this woman in. And one of the stars, it was, represented a baby, and it was in the woman's belly. And I was watching this whole thing, and it was fascinating. It was tied into the last days, and somehow they had tied it into the election. And um, that was an eye-opener to me. So I started following this guy and realized that every week in the news, he was tying something else to prophecy. And I thought, what? And, and you know, back in that... I've heard of the Prophecy Club, but here's my thing on prophecy. It's not like most of it is, from my opinion, it's just goofy, hokiness. Right, there's there's right. these guys out there that have every... And so I wondered, why? Why? Why is there so much uh, attraction to prophecy? I have to assume that, of course, the Lord has a very specific very uh powerful purpose for it in our lives and then satan throws in all of this other weird goofy stuff to 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 distract us yeah it seems like you know god god has his ways and whatever way is good satan finds a way to twist it and and prophecy is one of these things that man it can be it can be really powerful and intriguing but you know when you look at what some people do with it um it's kind of embarrassing when you think you know we're, we're all under this umbrella of christianity uh, some people are outright using prophecy just to 
say, hey, I'll tell you the future. I'm, you know, I wrote this book. Send me your money. You know, any mm-hmm. cash donation. And uh, you know, they aren't necessarily right. And it's unfortunate if there's a, a profit motive behind some of it. But that's kind of what we see in our, our day and age. Um, a lot of people, uh, as the scriptures say, ever learning but never coming to a knowledge of the truth through through some of these things. Well, and prophecy uh, to me is one of those words that. Um when you hear it or if you hear there's like well i admit you know i'm I'm drawn to trying to figure out trying to understand what's being told to me and and there's a there's an attraction there when i hear oh there's something going on in the stars that relates to this well now i gotta see what this is all about and i don't do that all the time but i i did give it a a bit of uh attention especially because the person that shared it was uh someone that i respect so of course you want to look at it but there is some intrigue there's some mystery right um you know i guess life can get boring and mundane like we talked about and so when you t- start talking about prophecy we're talking about knowing the future or knowing what's going to happen in the future what is it within my within my human heart and your your heart and and us is just uh human beings what is it within our heart that latches on to the thought that that um, there's this mystery of knowing the future and what might happen. It's it's something's appealing to our inner man. That's yeah, going on it sure you. is. Yeah, even even just you know memories of childhood uh, outside of church and that sort of prophecy. You know, back when we were kids, the best gift you could get was one of these things called the I think it was called the eight ball. Do you yeah, remember yeah. those little black thing? Yeah. And you turn it over, and all of a sudden these words appear. And I don't know how it worked, but you know you'd ans- ask this question, and some somehow we believed that it was going to tell us the truth but you know i think part of that human desire you you mentioned is because our life is full of uncertainty and and sometimes we just want answers and we want quick answers and and there's this unfortunate element of our society whether it's associated with religion or even darkness to to feel like if we will know the future somehow does that make life more meaningful or does that bring peace or content? Mm. Um, does it answer our questions of, for lust and power? You know, are, am I going to be rich someday? Is that what the soothsayer is going to tell me? But, you know, these things and even that word soothsayer is something that way back in the Old Testament times, you know, the people were dealing with, the, the cultures were being persuaded wrongly by people who were trying to predict their future. And uh, some of these things are things that God needed to remove from the society so that he could set them straight. And, and even from the beginning, so truth stranger than fiction, if you believe the Bible is truth, and I do, the word of God, what, what's this deal with what there was, there was a, a soothsayer or a sorceress that conjured up the spirit of Samuel the prophet mm-hmm. and a hand came up out of the ground and I may be mixing two or three stories together, but uh, the point is there were some spirits at work early on in the Old Testament. From the beginning of time, there was this desire to to have some type of power or knowledge about things beyond the physical realm. Right, And, and I think that prophecy walks us into that. It, it takes us from beyond... Uh, what's concrete, what I can see, what's going on today. I'm hitting the table. I have no idea why because I'm recording a <laughs> podcast to try to emphasize a point that no one can see. So I'll stop that. But uh, <laughs> I just watched everything wobble. So prophecy walks us in a very specific way into this area that's not concrete, that's um, 
oh, it's just that's a mystery that's and, mysterious, and it, it, and it is and it isn't. I think part of it we we've made it we'd made prophecy this thing that maybe is hidden in symbols and in realms of mm-hmm. the unknown, but yet so much prophecy is actually plain, and it's there's there's many facets of it but any prophecy was always something that was designed to bring people back to god and usually it was you know if it was the gloom and doom that people forecast mm-hmm. it was because the people had strayed so a prophet was sent to try to tell them <laughs> the word to bring back but you know satan has taken pretty much everything that god gave that was good and has twisted it um back with abel and cain and and the sacrifice you know this idea that a blood sacrifice was required uh, by an animal that was taught to Adam, and whether or not you've got the inspired version of the Bible or not, in Genesis four it tells us of Adam being told by the angel this sacrifice represents Jesus Christ. So the first man from the beginning realizes this sacrifice of this animal was going to be a symbol, a type, a shadow for the ultimate sacrifice when God right. would inhabit a body. So it, something something in the present was representing something way down the future right. that was coming, and yet Adam, Adam even when asked, why are you doing this? He's like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know, but he told me to do it. He, he had no idea. And so him being the first man, now, now we can look backwards. A lot of these things that played out at the time, you didn't understand, but... So prophecy becomes more evident sure. as we walk along the time, and, and, and we have more information available to us. Right, and, than- and, and, and it was always this idea of God trying to reveal himself to man, to bring us back to him in relationship with him. That's ultimately what all prophecy was for. The purpose of... Right, and, and you see early on, even like with the story of Cain and Abel, how Satan wanted to corrupt that story. So the idea of Adam understanding oh okay this animal is representing a symbolic death of of the savior to come so satan tempts cain to offer a sacrifice but yeah just give god a fruit basket and the (laughs) point at least of that sacrifice now there were times in the mosaic law when food and things were offered in that manner but the the sacrifice by by blood of the animal was representing the shed blood of jesus so satan dupes Cain, he becomes, you know, the useful idiot, so to speak, to take the plan, the lesson that God wanted to show and twist it, pervert it, corrupt it, and put it back in God's face. And and that's always been Satan's plan, whether he uses Cain and Abel or whether he uses uh, other things like a, a sexual relationship between a man and woman. God owns that as a lesson to teach us how the God and, and the church, man and woman come together, teaches about the relationship of God and church, kingdom being born. All that is God's perfect plan. And what does Satan do? All around us wants to use sex and things like that to, to corrupt the idea right. so we can't learn. So in every level of prophecy, it seems, he's you know God has given us a clear plan, which was not hidden and shrouded, but Satan likes to take that and he, and he likes to twist it. And and only only to mock God. Do you um, so just keep it real? A lot of the prophets in the Old Testament were kind of odd people. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that adds. I know. And if we knew them today, we probably wouldn't we, like them. We wouldn't we, want to go to church with them. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so 
I think that adds to the whole uh, mysterious, you know, who, which was the prophet that walked around naked? It was Isaiah. Isaiah. Yeah, it was, it was, it, he walked three years naked by God's commandment, not just because it right. was his idea. But he said this was going to be a symbol for how the Israelites were going to be in Egypt when they were taking slaves there mm-hmm. because they were going to walk around naked. And it just showed how destitute their situation was going to be. Yeah. Yeah. So... The Old Testament prophets, uh, kind of odd, kind of people uh, that just um, there, there was there was always seemed to be a story surrounding. At least surrounding. They, were, they were odd to the people around them. You know, right. and they were righteous in God's eyes, and their message was pure. Now, you, you know, what's interesting too is that uh, through the Old Testament, you have the stories uh, that are contained in in books like isaiah and jeremiah ezekiel we call them major prophets because they Mm -hmm. wrote so much and then minor prophets not that they were any less in their relationship with god but just their their content was less so you have you know daniel and obadiah and other people uh amos who who didn't contribute as much at least in the canon of scripture we have but what's interesting is there's one person who is also called a prophet and 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 that story is different and his that's the story of jonah and the reason is with all the other prophets, you know, starting at the beginning, uh, we, we have the message that came to the prophet, and then the books contain that message. With Jonah's story, we really never get the actual words of prophecy that he was supposed to take to Nineveh. It's all about how this prophet was hesitant, and he was rebellious, and he wanted to run the other way. And, and that, in a sense, I think represents the prophecy of Israel, the very people that Jonah represented, you know, the Ninevites were not of Israel. They were actually Gentiles. They were they were wicked people. And and why God would want to even bother telling the Ninevites to repent when they weren't even part of the covenant, Jonah had no use for that. But what's interesting is that you get this, the very realness of the prophet's heart in that Sometimes they had to be convinced that their message was valid, too. And here you see the very rebellion of Jonah and not wanting to even share mm-hmm. the word. And you never actually hear the words. All you know is that whatever he told them was effective because the Ninevites bowed down in sackcloth and ashes, and they repented from the end, in the end of the story. Do you think that um, the way, since there is this, this counterfeit and in, in this, this big... Um, following of prophecy, especially um, online today, do you think that it, part of it is because um, there, there's a spirit there that wants to make the future more exciting, or or there's something within our nature that thinks tomorrow can be more exciting than today? And and I wonder if there's something within us mm. that um, there's almost some escapism there, or right. right. Um, things are too hard now. Maybe there's some some sins that I I just don't want to overcome, and maybe down the line things will be easier, and the Lord will come back. Or a whole host of thought processes probably go through us. But I think that maybe there's a lot to the prophecy thing, where it's just it's a way to get out of our present situation, and yet that's not exactly probably the purpose that um, God had intended i hate to ever speak the mind of god of what he intended i just wonder that i believe that um looking forward is is can be a dangerous thing because we miss the opportunities that god wants us to do today and so i believe that the adversary keys on that and then we we uh we miss the present and what God wants to do with us today. Yeah, exactly. You know that 
as we've shared recently and just reading the Book of Mormon through in, in recent weeks and months, it's like for me become this new book where I've realized this powerful message that it's always contained. The only reason I didn't see it was just probably where my own heart was, but that our, our hearts need to change and that these these words and the prophecies and the and the message of the future uh, the, the the good that's going to come is for those whose people, whose hearts change and and it's one thing to say we have the scriptures and we know the scriptures and we can point to verses but it's another thing to say and to understand that we've wanted to turn from sin and we've wanted to to come to the savior and bow down and worship him with all of our hearts that's what the prophecies tell about is that the nations eventually do that and it's through god's word and his promises and covenants fulfilled satan wants to prevent all that his his goal is to to thwart that to divert it to twist it to bend it any way he can in in any way as long as he keeps us from knowing the truth he knows he's doomed he knows he won't win in the end but any misery he can create for us in the meantime especially by by making hmm. prophecy as you said you know just kind of look hokey and and, and stupid um, by by people who might share partial truths or people who might have you know subversive motives, mm-hmm. um, it, it it probably drives more people away than it brings people to Christ. But when we come back to His actual Word and read what it says, it's powerful. It, there it, there's clarity there. Sure, there's some prophecy that is actually uh, reserved until the end of time. Daniel says, you know, some of these things won't be revealed until the very end. Um, and, and that's for God's purposes. We can speculate why that is. I don't know that we could say with any surety. But there are so many other descriptions of people who return to the Lord, uh, especially the promise to Israel, uh, that the, the Jews, when they begin to call upon Christ, as the prophecies say they will, he turns back to them with a vengeance. He said, you know, in a little wrath, I hid my face from you for a moment, but with great mercies, I'm going to come back and gather you. And and this is clear. There's there's nothing hidden about that. Satan doesn't want the world to know that, of course, but that's been God's plan all along, is that through these prophecies, he's telling the story of how he's going to bring the world, Jews and Gentiles, people who've, who've called upon him, people who have yet to know his name, and turn the, their hearts to him. So prophecy has to have its proper place in our lives. On, on It needs to live in its proper place so that it has the intended effect on us that, that the Lord maybe intended from the beginning. Um, let me think how to say this. It, it makes sense in my mind, if I can convey it right as you were talking, I was seeing this beautiful thing that this beautiful gift that prophecy is that, and the fact that God didn't just write out the story from beginning to end. And he said, here's what happened. Here's what I'm going to do. This is when I'm going to do it. And here's, you know, in 1969, this and 1971, that, and this is what this, instead of using all of these words, he uses the countries we would have all of this and it, it would miss some type of intended effect that the Lord had. And yet, the way that the Lord set it up, these puzzle pieces, these things that come together at different times. And as we look back, we see things from the very beginning, such as Adam sacrificing an animal mm-hmm. that Adam didn't understand. We see that now, and it, it's it's a faith builder, number one. It's a faith builder um, that we see this common thread throughout all of history and that these things were recorded so long ago and yet they're all consistent and how could mankind ever you know make this up uh, if it's if put in its proper place it can build faith 
Um, but when it's not in its proper faith, it can destroy faith. I mean, I mean most obvious exactly. thing is then when is, is when somebody says something's going to happen and someone people put faith in and then it doesn't happen and then people lose their faith. But even deeper than that um, is, I think, just turning prophecy into something that it was never intended to be right. in the proper place, not just events happening at certain times. The, the proper, I believe, thing of prophecy is that it has to lead to a changed heart. And that sounds maybe over simple, but everything God does is to bring us into eternal life and immortality with him. That's his work. That's Amen. his glory. And so prophecy also has to be a part of that when applied correctly and understood correctly, that somehow it works a change in our heart. And we see this loving God and this great God we can trust who's mighty to save and who can take me out of my sinfulness and, and make me into a better creature. So, yeah, all that, you know, Mike, you, you mentioned this, how uh, sometimes uh, we, we can, we can kind of forget about the here and now and get into a, a, a mode of just thinking about the future and forget that, you know, the Lord said, Hey, I, I do want you in the world, not, not of the world, but in the world and, and be effective. You know, he wants us to bloom where we're planted in this life right now to, to within our, our realm of influence, the sphere of influence in our lives, to, to do good works for him, to, to share his word, to be a light to people in, in terms of being a help, to comfort, to, to be an example of his word, and, and not a judge. He's the judge uh, of, of other people. But, but in that, not get so caught up in just believing that, hey, when the Lord comes, he solves everything, so I'm going to check out. I'm, I'm not going to be involved in my community or my church or my neighbors. I'm just going to kind of sit back and wait until God does something. Mm -hmm. I don't think he's ever called us to that. You know, as you, as you said, the, the whole idea of prophecy, if it doesn't bring our hearts to him, if it doesn't bring about a change within us, what's the point? It, it, it can't serve any other purpose. But, you know, there is an interesting element, too, that he gives us bits and pieces. Um, even the writers of Scripture... Uh, said things like, uh, I was just reading recently in the third book of Nephi, chapter 12, in the RLDS version, uh, verse 5, uh, Mormon or Moroni was commenting on, they were about to write all the things that were engraven on the plates of Nephi, which were the huge record of plates. But then he interjects, he said, but the Lord forbid it, saying, I'm going to try the faith of my people. So you think about the records that we got were a piece of what was there. There was more, but for some reason, if it was the the thing to have, if, if it was the thing that was going to uh, be the most effective for us, I'm sure God would have done it. But it was more important that we have pieces of it so that our faith is tried, because otherwise maybe we miss the point. We focus on the wrong things. So uh, I, I find that when we look at prophecy, we always have to keep in mind that we only have pieces of a large puzzle. It's like if we had a thousand piece puzzle box and half the pieces were taken out before we even ever got to work on the puzzle, we might still make a picture of it that looks pretty good. But we have to remember, we don't have all the words. We don't have all the judgments. God said specifically, he said, hey, not all my judgments are given to man. Not all the, not all the words that have been spoken to the prophets were ever written. So the things that we do have, we, we can learn from and we can piece together and find he's, he's given us a beautiful story. Uh, one of the promises, too, is that someday uh, the, the words of the Nephites return to us and, and more words, prophecies that go back to the beginning of time until the end of time are going to be read upon the housetops in a day to come and, and in God's perfect timing. But for now, let's, let's know that 
the, the real purpose of prophecy gives us uh, excitement to, to think that, hey, God has a plan to bring nations back to him. But, but if my heart doesn't turn to him, I can have all the scriptures, I can have scripture searches and outlines, I can study all day long, but if, but if my heart hasn't changed, if, if I haven't become, as the scripture says, born again through his spirit, it, it doesn't help us at all to even guess at what the future might hold. I think timelines are one of the most exciting parts of, of, the, of prophecy, big picture, knowing what's going on and uh, you know, being able to look at news and see, does this tie into the Bible and what's the story of Israel and what's happening? But if you take, um, maybe if you look at that kind of thing and you miss the prophecy that God makes on an individual level that um, I am able to take your heart that just is so carnal and sensual and devilish and that once all the things that are bad for it in this world that are enticing, that I can take that heart and I can turn it into this heart that wants to put other people's needs above your own needs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What kind of a miracle is that? Exactly. And that's, that's all, that's prophecy throughout the scriptures when, when he talks about these nations and having his laws and becoming his people and, and having the laws written on their hearts. He's, he's telling this story of, of a great, a great returning of all mankind to him not not just to say we believe in the book of mormon and and then that's the final goal or to say um we understand we were from the house of israel or we understand that jesus christ was really the son of god and and that he came down that's not the end goal when it says all mankind returning to him that's all mankind uh that will having this giant change of heart can you imagine righteousness that would sweep the earth with a flood if you know if a couple billion people of the lost tribes of israel not only recognize who they are who they are by lineage but recognize the power of christ to change a heart and they are they are uh, miraculously um, given the holy spirit and their hearts change and all they care about is righteousness we have exactly like, like records of just small groups of people doing this in history but we know that the lost tribes have spread out over the entire world and are known to the lord but hidden as to who their lineage is and when they come to recognize that it's not just to gather back to israel to prevent the palace you know the the arabs and everything from taking over it's not it's not it's not just that. It's not just coming to Zion to this temple because they're a called and chosen people. It's what's happened within them. Mm-hmm. And I can't imagine um, what that'll be like. Yeah, you know, Isaiah, one of the prophets, wrote about that day. And, and you just imagine this, that he said in Isaiah 2 that in the last days, the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established in the top of the mountains and all nations are going to flow into it. You know, you consider that there won't be any bickering. There won't be any deciding, hey, do we want this Jesus or do we want Allah or do we want Buddha or do we want no God? Um, but they recognize he is God. And the people will say, let's go up to the mountain of the house of the Lord. He's going to teach us of his ways. And, and with the excitement and the anticipation of nations, that they're going to learn from Jesus. They're going to learn firsthand. They're going to learn the truth. And that's the day 
that these prophecies are all leading up to. And it's exciting. It's exciting to know that. It's exciting to know that for anyone who repents, Jew or Gentile, you know, you are part of the covenant people of God in a spiritual sense. You know, if your heart is changed, if you've been humbled by God's spirit and you call upon him and you worship him, you know, you're told you're going to have a place at his right hand. And, and these people of the nations who haven't found this, they're going to find the joy of that too. But it's that change of heart that's obviously uh, something that hasn't happened yet that's prophesied to the nations. His laws, they say, will go forth out of Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He's going to judge people, rebuke them. They will in turn beat their swords into plowshares. You know, they're going to take the weapons that they use to fight against each other and they're, they're going to till the earth. They're going to make good things from it now. They're going to take the things that they used to destroy. Now they're going to take them and turn them into life-giving objects uh, in, a, in a physical but a spiritual sense too. Uh, it's, a, it's a powerful day and it, it only happens when those prophecies, so to speak, become fulfilled in our own heart. You know, well, the the night Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he says, "Hey, what what do I need to do?" And I, we know something's different about you, Jesus. No one could do the works you do except there was something special. And Jesus tells him flat out, he says, "Except you're born of the Spirit, you don't can't know about any of these things." And his answer to Nicodemus is the same answer he gives to all of us that he'll give to the nations in the future: is that you need to be born, you need to be changed, you need to be made new again. By my spirit and only those people who are who are born again is what alma said in the book of mormon have a place in the kingdom of god if our hearts aren't changed we don't have place in the kingdom of god let the rocks fall fall down on me cover my sorrow and hide my dark deeds rocks fall, fall down on me, let the rocks fall down. Corey, tell me about the final prophecy, since we're talking about prophecy, what that means. You know, in your life, my life, you know, we we have our quest to try to learn more about God and and we learn through sermons we learn through classes we learn through sitting out on a mountainside at night and praying and and feeling that God hears our prayers and um, I I've looked back over my life and found that I'm I'm always drawn to wondering about these uh, events in the last days scripture talks about and um, I've taught classes over the years about different things and never really put it all together at least for myself and recently I took some of the uh, class notes that I'd had from different classes in different places and just started assembling them and realized they, they had a theme about prophecy. And, and so I put an outline together for myself, really, and I just called it the final prophecy because this idea that prophecy was given to man, all prophecy leads us or should lead us back to Christ. That's the idea. And if it doesn't, we've missed the point. But this final prophecy talks about a day to come when God dwells with man again, and there's every book of Scripture seems to touch on it at some point. Uh, it, it seems to me it's not just from one chapter or, or one prophet. 
but from all the different prophets. They had something to say. And, and people who weren't necessarily prophesying their, their words and their actions tell us about this redemptive purpose of God to bring us back into his presence. So for me, at RestoredGospel.com, you can find an outline. Uh, it's, it's a useful tool for me uh, for, for organizing uh, teaching material or study material. But uh, the final prophecy is just a, an outline that tries to draw some of these pieces together. If you had this puzzle box opened up uh, in front of you and you put all the pieces on the table, and at first there's not a lot of organization at all. There's nothing. You don't have pieces that fit. You know, first you start finding straight edges and the corners and getting a, a puzzle sort of blocked in. Um, knowing that we don't have all the words, knowing that there can be uh, other information that comes in the future, uh, it's an attempt to take some of these puzzle pieces and start arranging them in place to see what the picture looks like. So, so the, um, the final prophecy is linear in nature from some regards. Um, it, um, it lays things out in a timeline, which is kind of cool to kind of have an idea where we're at in the grand scheme of things and what part of time we're at. But also, I've noticed, as we've talked, that um, take something like, um, we're not just talking about the timeline, but but within that timeline, we have a story of like Adam and Eve, and yet there's a different kind of prophecy, not so much linear, but, it, but within Adam and Eve and their relationship, there's a prophetic um, vision or um, story within a story of what it means to have a relationship, the church to its creator. Yeah and, yeah. and there's all kinds of things to learn in the story of Adam and Eve that prophesies or foretells what God expects out of a marriage and how that marriage relates to what he expects as uh, the bride groom to the church, which is his bride. And so there's all kinds of truth and things to be gleaned out of that story that's prophetic in nature on what God wants to have take place not just once in history, but repeatedly in history through through every man and woman and every marriage exactly. that that prophetic story plays out. Exactly. And then on a big, on on the big uh, scheme of things, Adam and Eve's story has a uh, a place in the timeline of history that man fell, and that starts a a linear story of this big journey back to God. Exactly. And things take place along the timeline, but but along that. Timeline. There's so much truth and story that is prophetic in, in relationship, in what God wants out of us each and every day, and what God wants to take place on a intimate level within my chest where my heart resides. What He is prophesying, He wants to happen, and what needs to happen, and that story is played out on individual levels throughout time, um, and yet it's the same story. Exactly. And it seems like the more we read his word, the more we get little clues and things on, on how that story is to take place and how it can take place. And and that's so exciting. And so... Yeah, I there's think, lessons for all of us to be learned. You know, this point you bring up just about marriage, for instance, you know, it all, it all begins with God in the beginning, you know, mankind living in the presence of God in eternity, even before we were on this earth. His purpose is to return us to that point. And he's given us so many ways to learn about what that means. So marriage being one of them, you know, this idea that 
Adam and Eve came together in the garden wasn't just to bring a man and woman together, although it did that, you know, for procreation or for happiness, but it represented something very profound. This this man, Adam, who's living by himself, is literally uh, brought into simulated death. We call it sleep. But in that moment, this woman is taken and formed from his own flesh. Every other piece of this earth, Adam included, was created from the dust of the earth, from the initial elements of creation. But only the woman was different. She was not born of the earth. She was born of the man. Very, very symbolic. This very Jesus who came, Adam was a type for, this this God who would take on flesh, he died so that this church, his, his bride, could literally be born from his death. And this story, as you say, is brought out time and time again. When we live in harmony in, in a marriage, if we are married, a man and woman get to demonstrate every day to God that this is this is what marriage is pointing towards, towards the, the reunification of God representing the man and the church representing the woman. So when we live in harmony, we're demonstrating you know, in, our, in our homes, in our marriage, we're demonstrating to God that, hey, we understand that you want to live in harmony, you know, the God with the church. And, and, and all that is are symbols that will be brought out eventually when God does return to this earth. And, and God and the people of the earth, those who follow him are the church. They, are, they represent this woman and God in, in a marriage. That will take place in the day to come. But yet we can't miss the important point of the day we live in right now to continually demonstrate our understanding of that by by seeking good marriages by by the man doing exactly what Jesus did and what was that to, to lay down his life for to sacrifice to be able to put and, and to choose to put his will aside for the the life of his bride or, or his family and, and the same with a woman you know uh, the the word submission isn't uh, something that for some reason people like to bring up, but it's a beautiful thing in that it teaches us that the church is to submit to God. So in a in a submissive relationship, it doesn't mean that one person makes all the rules and the other person has to follow. I mean, God never did that for us. He said, hey, I'm willing to lay my life down for you. Submission means, wow, I love you so much that I'm willing to put my will aside too to, to be your helpmeet, to, to do whatever you want. And so in a relationship, uh, both people putting their will aside for the other represents this love. It reflects this, this joy that is going to be ours someday when these prophecies do fulfill in heaven and earth coming together, God coming back to his people. So that, that's a, one example among many that we can, I think, kind of draw out and dive down into using the, the word of God um, to both give us hope on what's coming in the future, but give us hope on what can be ours uh, in in day to day activities and every day. One, I think, just a great example to keep it real in the restoration is that we've missed a lot of the joy that comes from the blood of Christ and the atonement of Christ, and that 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 act of love and what that can do to my heart and what the power there is with Jesus coming down and taking on flesh and blood and showing us our God here with us, Emmanuel, all of those things are so crazy to try to comprehend and so hard to comprehend. And it takes, maybe it takes all kinds of us brothers and sisters working together, focused on that to show that 
There's nothing to fear in that. We don't need to be jealous mm-hmm. of one another and that we need to be long suffering with one another. But we've, we've substituted that yes. for a temple and a, and a, and a cornerstone and the temple. And we've written other that. people off. If we have a slight doctrinal difference, we've kind of mm-hmm. deemed them unworthy and we've decided, okay, this smaller and smaller group becomes the chosen one. And I don't think any of that brings any glory and honor to God by, by doing that. We're, we're missing the whole point by thinking that we're going after some idea that we have of his kingdom on earth by thinking it's excluding all these people who somehow doctrinally change. You know, what's interesting is that when we read Jesus' own words and he talks about, you know, I'm going to separate the sheep from the goats, the, the people who are found on his right hand, you know, Matthew 25 points this out, this people on, on his right hand are people who said, when did we see you sick or hungry or, or naked or whatever? And he's like, well, hey, when you did it to other people, you were just doing it to me. And you have this whole group of people who didn't even know they were seeking the prize by serving other people, and yet they find the prize of eternity. They find the Savior in, in seeking mm. to simply serve other people. And on the left hand, you find people who are saying, well, didn't we prophesy in your name and do all his works? And, and, and them, you consider... They were seeking the Savior, or they thought, and they missed the point. They missed people in the process. And so in, in not seeking people, in thinking they were seeking God, they, they missed the whole prize and point. And people who were seeking to serve others and lay down their life to serve other people find God in the process. It's just kind of marvelous that that's how Jesus describes the people who inherit eternity. And, and that's... That's my hope coming from the culture that I come from. One of my hopes is before I leave this world and this life that that hopefully I am part of a group of people who um, who don't have the pressure of having to build a holy city and a temple um, under their own strength. And it seems right. like that's what I, I was so excited for Zion for so long, and, and, and I still am, but it's, that's just one piece of the puzzle. That's just one piece of the puzzle, and, and I think we've gotten the timeline wrong in a lot of ways. And I grew up uh, understanding things not in the way that I find them in the Book of Mormon now. And, you know, we, we moved here because we believe in Zion, but Zion is one of those things in prophecy where you can look so hard at one thing that you miss the beauty in the present day. Yeah. And yeah. we've we've really had we've really developed a culture, I believe, in the restoration that we've a culture of failure, a culture of division, a culture of um well failure. We've we failed over and over and over again. And and you said something in class the other day, um, you know, the golden age of the Nephites when um Jesus Christ was with them, and they lived for a, f- a few hundred years oh, with no I did, sin. I didn't say it in class. You said it at Starbucks, but go ahead. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, okay. <laughs> I, so, I took your words in okay. class. Yeah, go ahead, though. No uh, wonder you're so wise, <laughs> I just listened to you, my friend. <laughs> so you had this, this what we call the golden age in the Nephites, where they were living without sin and everything, and yet there was no temple. There was no, well, not, maybe there was a temple, yeah. but there wasn't. Enoch City didn't come back and dwell with them. They lived for a couple hundred years without sin. They didn't, right. they didn't have to lock their doors. They all gave their tithing. They kept the commandments. They did all these things. And so why wasn't Zion there? Zion didn't, didn't come down and, and dwell And they had with Jesus, them. too. The, the point is, 
Zion doesn't come until the covenants covenants. are fulfilled. That's what it is. And and there's covenants that have always been in Scripture since the beginning that we've kind of ignored. It's kind of like we we got this gospel returned to us as these Gentiles who it was prophesied would come to us. But it's also prophesied it has to go back to the original people, the the remnant of the Nephites, Mm -hmm. this tribe of Joseph, to fulfill before this city is built on the earth and before the word goes back out in power to the world. And, and, and we've sort of just jumped ahead to say, okay, well, we found the gospel, so now we're going to build a kingdom. Let's just well, do that. And there's this interesting thing of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, coming back and perhaps being present before a lot of things take place right, right. instead of Third us Nephi doing 10. it on our own. Yeah, he manages. He manages. says, hey, the power of heaven will be with you. I'll be in your midst. He says that in 3 Nephi 9. He says it in 3 Nephi 10. It's, it's alluded to in the book of mm-hmm. Jacob, chapter 3, the parable of the olive tree, where the Lord of the vineyard works right with the servants, he calls. Yeah, Jesus is coming back to direct a work that's going to gather the nations to him. And we've somehow missed these beautiful promises and thinking that the story was maybe just about us. You wow. know, the, 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 when you talk about missing Jesus too, the, uh, you know, John records in the gospel that there were two sisters and, uh, you know, Martha and Mary, and, and one of them wants to go out and meet Jesus as he's coming, and the other one just wants to stay in the house because there's too much to do. And one of them wants to sit at his feet and just worship and, and wiping literally tears, uh, using tears and wiping his feet, and the other one's doing dishes or whatever the housework was of the day. You know, that's kind of like us. We, we have people who's like, they see Jesus, they recognize him, and that's where they want to dwell. And we have some people who think, well, I, my job is to get ready to build the kingdom. And even though I really don't know what that means, um, I, I miss the point that Jesus is in the other room. And it's like, you know, what good is that? Um, so, yeah, he's the, the beauty of these prophecies is too, and, and this is something hopefully that, um, you know, if you take a look at the final prophecy online, you, you come to this realization later that, Jesus is about to manage the work eventually. He's he's always planned it this way that his plan is to bring the nations back on him to fulfill those very words of Isaiah and it and it doesn't happen by people who are just kind of almost une- unwilling I, I hate to say to even worship together because mm-hmm. they think they're so right. You know, Jesus Christ is right. You know, we're called to be righteous. And he the honest truth is he never did. Where do you see in scripture where he took the bickering contending people who are just kind of, you know, contending with one another and use them to do anything. You know, you, you can see examples where when God's spirit penetrates, people's lives are changed. Some like Helaman too, mm-hmm. Nephites go to preach, they're taken to prison, the Lamanite guards are about to kill him, then all of a sudden fire comes down, surrounds the people. And it isn't just for the benefit of the two ministers, the missionaries, all the guards, the captors, the their hearts are changed. And they go out there, they're baptized with the Holy Spirit, and they go out from there and they convert their Lamanite culture. These people who had been murderers and idolaters, you know, just idolatrous, um, they're converted and, and they're, they're just the Nephites. And it happened in a moment. And, it, and it's powerful for, for many reasons, but also when Jesus comes back to the Nephites, you know, shortly after this time period, he appears in America. And the thing that he tells the Nephites, which is fascinating, he says, 3 Nephi chapter 4, verse 50, in the earliest version of the Book of Mormon, or Restored Covenant Version, 
He says, hey, whoever comes to me, uh, if you do it with a broken heart and a contrite spirit, he said, I'll baptize you with fire and the Holy Ghost, just like he said to Nicodemus. You'll be changed. But he doesn't say, just like you Nephites who have been pretty good all along, you've had your ups and downs. He says, no, I'll baptize you just like I did the Lamanites. Now, these were the murderers, right? These were, these were the people who didn't know God the day before. He said, I'm going to change you just like I changed them. Wow, that's what he wants to do with all of us in the nations. And unless that happens to me personally, unless this happens to Corey and Mike, you know, we can know all the scriptures we want to know, but we can also be found on the left hand of God if, if that change of heart hasn't happened to us. Well, that's, that's my hope, and that's my hope that just these conversations together um, will allow other people to listen in and, and get their mind thinking I wish that collectively the whole restoration could just take a deep breath. Right. Everybody take a deep breath. Let's open up the Word of God. Let's reread the Word of God. Let's get rid of this chosen people curse that has followed Israel all through the history, right. that whenever God works with a group of people, then that somehow gives them the idea that we're the chosen people and we have the right to be better than other people. Right. Well, that's what happened to the Restoration, too. God did great miracles, and the Book of Mormon came forth, and you know the priesthood authority was restored, and miracles were happening, and then the, the whole cursing of the chosen people, because God is there and present working with them that you know, we must be the, the all, you know, the, the, whole, the all, we're, we're everything. We're, we're the everything. We're the, the ones, the chosen. You know, it's interesting, because in our, our current day, it seems that there are people who are discouraged because... They feel like, hey, God did a mighty work. He brought the Book of Mormon. He restored the church. But then things didn't happen on the timeline they Mm -hmm. expected. People felt like, oh, we should have had the kingdom by now. We should have had Zion by now. And what I find is that these covenants answer those questions. And in this final prophecy outline, I've tried to spell out some of what these writers of Scripture have already said. They said them thousands of years ago, even predicting our day. When this gospel that comes to these Gentiles, this Gentile nation, uh, to bring us light and truth so we could have the fullness and the plainness so that the, the plain and precious things that had been removed, they could be restored to us. It was, it was primarily a gift so we could have free access to understanding salvation like any of the other people through, the, through time. And equally, the gospel was supposed to return from us back to the original people who wrote it, this remnant of Joseph. Well, we didn't do a very good job on either hand. You know, we kind of started thinking, well, the gospel came to us, so the story's about us, you know? And that's like you said, that's been God's people's problem all along. They all of a sudden think the story's just about them when they get something good. Well, he's told how this story ends, and the story is that everyone who calls upon God and, and comes to him and makes covenant with him, you have a hope of salvation. You have, you know, this, uh, you are part of this covenant in a spiritual sense but his plan is so that his word goes back to the original people who wrote it their hearts are changed from their testimony it goes out to the world under the management of jesus he tells us i will be in your midst in that day when the work commences when it goes out to the lost tribes to the lost remnant to the jews their hearts are turned to all nations so that they can do exactly what isaiah predicts they will flow unto Jesus because they want to learn of his ways. Yeah, and, in, and in the seed of Abraham, all the world will be blessed. All the world will be blessed. And right? when I think billions of the house of Israel come to recognize Jesus and come to know him, 
not just know that he was really the son of God, come to know him, right? which you can't say Not know that. about him, no. but to, to know. To know him, to me, is, a, is, is just equals um, changed into righteousness. You, you've you've taken Spirit. him upon you. You know, it's interesting. In the olden days, uh, when they would kill those animals at the altar, you know, the, the blood, they had to touch. They had to put their hand on that sacrifice. You know, they put their hands on their head. They had to touch. They had to come in contact. Um, Jesus wants us to come in contact with with him, he wants us to to feel to know, uh, just as he invited the children. But but he he let the people examine his hands, and so he knew that they knew that he was the sacrifice. But but also symbolically, the the blood of that sacrifice was was dripped on the people. It was dripped on the altar, uh, or, or or even the holy of holies when it was finally presented. But the very people who brought that sacrifice, sometimes blood was placed on their on their hand or on their head. Um, so that it showed how it would symbolically have to cover them. Mm-hmm. And so this Jesus wants us to have him be part of us. You know, when we've made a covenant and partaken communion, uh, there's some misunderstanding that it's just like it was in the days of Moses, for instance, where they brought this annual sacrifice, or maybe we make a, you know, a, a monthly communion. It's not that we need to come to him every month to be forgiven they they did these things symbolically every year so that they wouldn't forget but it was all the point towards the one sacrifice the one infinite and eternal sacrifice that would be the the son of god for our sins so that they wouldn't forget that this is what all this life uh, uh this plan of mercy this is how the veil becomes torn open in two so that as jesus dies on the cross and the veil of the temple tears in two it finally shows in a symbolic way once again that the separation between god and man is now opened up because jesus made a weak mouth come into god's presence well his purpose Giving us communion is so that we can remember that. We can remember that. It's not that we have to do it every time to suddenly be forgiven. We are forgiven when we repent. That's the that's the answer from the beginning. It doesn't take communion to do that. He 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 does this because of our sinful nature, we'd forget. Otherwise it didn't. So he wants us, you know, we we partake of the symbol of his flesh and blood. It really represents how he wants us to internalize him that he becomes part of us that's to know him not just to know about him so that his life changes our soul i love i love your passion and just just so our listeners know this isn't scripted this is <laughs> this just, is Corey talking yeah. off uh of all of the years of study that he's put in i'm not i'm not lifting Corey up but um you couldn't the, anyhow <laughs> you know there's a scripture that says delight and fatness you know hey <laughs> but here it's a spiritual I, thing. I think this is this has been good. I think the listeners are hopefully get a, an idea just from this conversation today that of what's coming because I, I would like and I think I think you would like as well as, as we've talked about that um, the upcoming episodes are going to be about the final prophecy that we can hopefully um, give some hope to people of of that listen. Um, those that have a restoration background that we see that we're, you know, nothing slipped by God, um, nothing, nothing took God by surprise that, exactly. um, you know, the temple isn't late to be built nope. and the city Zion isn't, you know, months overdue. We are following the prof, the prophetic timeline, oh, just yeah. as it is written. We are exactly and on we've, it. we need to also realize and, and, and grasp a hold of the prophecies that, 
entail man's relationship to Christ. Yeah, yeah. So if we don't have that understanding of our relationship, none of the rest of it matters. And I I think it might be good if the next time we talk about just, hey, what is that relationship? You know, how how is it that we started off in the presence of God? And and there's this thing called death, you know, the death that came on all mankind. We should talk about that. We should talk about right now. Yeah, Mm -hmm. we should talk about what it means that... uh, you know, we, we we talk about justice in a good sense, but justice is our problem. And justice means that because of our sin, we can't be with God. And maybe let's talk about that because all of these prophecies talk about coming back into God's presence. But there's only one way back, and that's through His Son Jesus Christ. And if, and if we don't know how to do that, it, the the rest of it's for naught. I I couldn't agree more. I think the atonement and the blood of Christ and justice and the separation. I think those are concepts that have been played up to appeal to our emotional sense in movies and things. Right. And yet I believe that they are integral to to I don't believe that we can walk into the heaven without having been changed by the knowledge of the atonement and the right. blood of Christ. As a matter of fact, the Book of Mormon speaks that God was angry with the people not because of all the other things they could have been doing, but because of one simple thing. He was angry with them because they did not understand the atonement. Yep, they didn't understand of his mercy. And that and that's because if people would understand that and allow the spirit to you can't understand it on your own. If they would allow the spirit to to reveal that to them and, and the very DNA that they contain, that they would be changed and they would be able to love other people the way God wants us to love other people and to and to rest in a security that God loves us. So Amen. You know, I'm excited about what you just said, Mike, for for this reason too that you know, if making some podcasts or whatever, uh, if we can share this message that we we can give beautiful plain and pure message of love of Jesus Christ share it incorporates the the prophecy and things in a greater way than we've even allowed ourselves to see. Um that that we've got a message to the world. You know, I I've I've all of a sudden realized that They've been calling the wrong people the evangelicals. They should be calling us the evangelicals because mm-hmm. we've got a message to tell people about Jesus Christ. We've we've got exciting words that even have been in front of us that I don't think we've paid attention to. We've kind of skipped over thinking, ah, oh, well, that's the that's just the atonement stuff. No, let's let's talk about the Zion stuff. Mm-hmm. It's like no, it all happens, and it's all because of the atonement. It's all because of God coming down and doing this gracious act in our in our in our favor to to live and die and and be resurrected again to open the door to eternity to us otherwise we are lost forever and so these things you know god's going to show us how he's going to come back and be with us in person but he wants to be with us spiritually now and the way to do that is to have changed heart Mm -hmm. so we start there and and then we build off that well i can't I can't wait to uh, get back together and talk again. This is exciting to me. Um, and I recognize, Corey, and I know you do too, that, um, you know, we aren't, we are just, uh, we're bringing thoughts and things that are tools for people to use uh, so that the Holy Spirit, which is promised to each one individually, can work within the hearts of men. And so, uh, just like I've been benefited to listening to the Bible Project and many other podcasts that are my mind
that's my prayer, that uh, we can find hope in this restored gospel. What a blessing we have, and what so many things to look forward to. Um, Let's not feel like failures. We're going to see the prophecies played out that um, we're right where God knew we would be.